welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper as we look at chapters 19 to 24 of Luke's Gospel in our new series titled Behold Your King. My name is Clayton Ryan and this week I'll be discussing chapter 20 verses 1 to 19 with Rod Bailey. Welcome back Rod. So two weeks in a row now that I'm sitting opposite you but I'm a little bit confused because didn't Mark preach on Sunday? He did indeed, and he's flown the coop. He's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's been up in Sydney this week at Waterloo uh, as part of a Reach Australia um, yeah, cohort of pastors, mm-hmm. um, similar program uh, that I've been part of, and I was up in Sydney doing the same sort of thing a couple of weeks back. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be really good for, you know, his continued growth and training as it is for me also. Mm. Yeah. And he'll be interacting with a whole bunch of other pastors and learning from them and, um yeah, I think this first session for him is sort of um, more focused on who you are as a person, as a leader. Does a lot of Myers-Briggs personality tests, all this uh, kind okay, of stuff. Yep, yep. So I wonder if we'll all be doing that as part of our staff meetings next week. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be looking forward to seeing what excited Mark and what he brings back and wants to implement right away. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, this might be a bit of a challenge, seeing as you didn't preach on Sunday, summarizing the sermon in 30 seconds, but because I'm so generous and patient, I'm going to allow you 60 seconds this week uh, to do a recap of Mark's sermon from Sunday. Go for it. I'll see if I can do it in 30. (laughs) Well, look, three truths from the parable of the tenants. Um, Number one, God is a patient and generous ruler. Number two, rejecting God's rule is wickedness. And thirdly, God won't let your rebellion go unpunished. Hmm. Excellent. He he um yeah, he skipped <laughs> over the first bit. Yeah. <laughs> verses one to eight because of time on Sunday, so he yeah. just focused in on the second bit of the parable from verse nine. Yeah. 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 I I like this parable because it's one that you don't really hear preached very often. Like it's not it's like let's preach through the parables of Luke. Not that one, but the other ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well that's right. It's yeah. it's a more negative one. It's a mm. it's a real statement against Israel, as we'll um see as we unpack this. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's um it was quite a confronting parable and um yeah, there's not um a warm, um fuzzy finish to it. Yeah. 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 Now the opening verses, the bit that Mark didn't spend a whole lot of time on, just in his introduction begin with a challenge from the Pharisees about Jesus' authority. And I like Jesus' sort of question-answer, not giving them the answer but asking them a question. I think it helps see what's really behind the question. So why is Jesus' question about John the Baptist such a trap for the Pharisees? Yeah, it's uh, either way they answer, they're they're in trouble because um, so Jesus is asking, is John's authority from heaven or from men. Mm. And so they acknowledge as they talk together, they say from heaven, they'll say, he'll say, well, why didn't you listen to him? Because they've rejected John the Baptist as a prophet. Mm. But of course, to accept his authority as truly a prophet, he was the one pointing forward to the Christ who points to Jesus. Mm. So they'd have to accept Jesus and his authority if they accept John. So they can't do that yeah. um, because they've decided that Jesus isn't the Christ. Um, but then if they reject John and say, well, no, he wasn't a prophet, you know, his authority mm. was from men, then they are, you know, dependent upon the will of the people at some level, even though they're mm. the religious leaders. Yeah. And so they've worked out that 
and other people flocked out to John, uh, you know, on the Jordan River mm. and are convinced that he's a prophet. And so if they say, you know, that he had no authority from heaven, um, then you know, that won't go well with the people. Yeah. And so they'll lose face and uh, lose some of their authority and power. And so they're, they're stuck either way. It's a perfect question for Jesus to ask. Yeah. And I think this is really good for understanding the parable that's going to come and their response afterwards when it's all about are you going to listen or are you going to reject the message you hear? And it kind of seems to be set up by this, did you listen to John the Baptist or did you reject him? Yes, mm. you know, and they did go out to observe John. It's not like they don't know about him, but yeah. uh, of course John called them a brood of vipers when <laughs> they turned up to listen to <laughs> yeah. him. So it doesn't know, usually get you on side, does no, it? No, <laughs> it was a tense relationship. <laughs> yeah. Now one of the early questions Mark asked us was, do we bend the knee to Jesus when it's not in line with our freedom? What is it about Jesus' authority that makes it all-encompassing? Yeah, well, I mean, Jesus says it himself, right, in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And so Jesus doesn't just want fans. You know, he wants committed uh, followers. And and so it's all in with Jesus. You can't mm. sort of have Jesus on your terms. He will have you on his. Mm. And so you need to bow the knee in all areas of your life. And so that's a real challenge, obviously, yeah. for everyone. Yeah. And I think with the subject of authority, it's really, yeah, it's like, where does our authority lie? Yes, yeah. that's right. I mean, if, if Jesus is the Christ, which, of course, we understand him to be, then, mm. um, yeah, there is no area where we can say, no, your lordship doesn't apply there, Jesus. I can feel free to ignore you here. Yeah, yeah. Now, the parable itself is one that I suspect those hearing for the first time or not particularly familiar um, with it would have, sorry, the first hearers would have understood. But possibly today, you know, if you're not a farmer, if you're not into um, gardening or that kind of thing, you may not really understand stand it so much, particularly us, you know, the city folk and urban dwellers. But understand this is a typical arrangement, particularly of the day that someone plants a field, in this case a vineyard, then they rent it out to others to manage it. And a vineyard in particular, I was doing some research, and the saying takes usually three to five years until you're getting proper harvest from it. You might get some initial grapes grow, but they're kind of nothing to get excited about. And really it's after that three to five year period when the real first fruits come through, that that's the time that the owner will come along and take his choice um, pick of the fruit. And the tenants then go on to sell the rest, and that's where they make their money and make their profits. But in this parable, we're talking about so much more than just a single farm. I mean, it's not just one vineyard. How does this parable point us to our generous and patient God? Yeah, so there's a whole Old Testament background to the vineyard. Um, so as the hearers uh, were listening to Jesus, they would have been conscious of that immediately. Uh, Psalm 80, for example, verses 8 to 19, talk about um, Israel as a vineyard that God had planted. Um, and at that point, uh, they're in exile. And so they're, they're, that psalm is really a cry to God, you know, restore us um, because the vineyard has been broken down. You know, the wall is... Uh, broken, you know, wild animals have come in because the people have been, you know, sent to Babylon. Um, but what sits behind that in the explanation earlier in that psalm is, you know, God is the owner, uh, the vineyard is Israel, 
and he's gone to great lengths to establish this vineyard. You know, mm. he has um, saved them out of Egypt. He's placed them in the promised land. He's cleared yeah. away, as it were, mm. uh, the stones and the rocks. He's made a, a place for them. And then he's sent prophets, you know, mm. over and over to try and keep them on track. Yeah. And yet, as Jesus tells in the parable, they've rejected and thrown out these prophets and ultimately they throw out the sons. Mm. So this um, continual story of each um, servant coming to ask for the fruits of the vineyard and being rejected is just a, an amazing picture of God's graciousness. Like we mm. would think we would give up after the first one was rejected. I mean, yeah. he's the rightful owner. And yet he patiently keeps sending another and another. Mm. And so this picture of God's patience with the nation of Israel over many centuries yeah. um, is clear. Yeah, it's quite an amazing picture when it's put in such a short, simple parable like this of just how they treated the prophets. Like as soon as they realized this is about us, it must have been confronting all the way along. Absolutely. This yeah, this is a very uncomfortable parable. Yeah. Now when the first fruits do eventually come along, as you said, the tenants don't give the owner what is rightfully his. What's the picture being painted here? Like, what is this first fruit that God is claiming? Yeah, well, again, the Old Testament background helps mm -hmm. us with the answer here. So another important passage is Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7, mm -hmm. which again talks about God establishing his vineyard, which is the nation. But in that, he is looking for fruit, and he is disappointed he doesn't see any fruit. And at the mm -hmm. end of that section in verse 7, he says that the fruit that he was looking for was justice and righteousness, mm -hmm. but there is none. Mm -hmm. And so he starts tearing down his vineyard. He's, he's invested so much time in it, but it's not producing fruit, so it's not worth you know, the energy, as it were, humanly yeah. speaking, and so it's going to tear it down. So, yeah, the, the fruit is to be, um, you know, the response of the people to their God. And so mm. he's looking for, um, you know, a love of God that will then express itself in their horizontal relationships that they'll show justice to each other, his people, yeah. um, that there'll be a righteousness in the land, but it's it's not present. Yeah. And... How do you think the people would have understood this in their time when they heard this? Do you think this they would have understood about justice and righteousness? Yeah, well, it's a good question, isn't it? Because um, really for them, uh, the people that are establishing what that should look like are the Pharisees yeah. and the other religious leaders. Mm. And, of course, it was a lot of tasks, a lot of doing yeah. uh, rather than being. And so, yeah, that for them, righteousness was in following all the little details of the law that the Pharisees would place upon them. Yeah, But it was easy to tick boxes and have no heart in it. There's no yeah. real... Uh, desire to show mercy and justice. And, um, of course, the religious leaders were the great example of this that Jesus kept pointing out, yeah, and yeah. hence his woes to the, the Pharisees and so on, that, you know, outwardly they look like they're ticking boxes of being mm. righteous, yeah. but the motivation is just all wrong, and they're really only um, doing what they consider necessary, but they've missed the heart or the spirit of the law. Yeah. And so when he always challenges them in that regard, mm. uh, they're found to be wanting. Yeah. And I think as we keep seeing over and over in these chapters that the response of the Pharisees is to try and arrest Jesus so that they can kill him, yes. which shows justice is not on their minds. No, no, yeah. it's just about retaining power for them. Yeah, yeah they've got no concern really about um, what God is doing as he sends his son. Yeah, and I think this is what Mark pointed to about rejecting God's rule is pure wickedness. And this is Mark's second point. So right since Adam and Eve, humanity has rejected God, and given half the chance, we will always reject God in the pursuit of our own personal freedom. 
Why do you think it's so important to humanity by our nature that we are the ones in control of our own destinies? And I think it comes back again to the opening dialogue about John the Baptist and the desire to keep our authority rather than subordinate ourselves to Jesus's authority. Absolutely. Yes. Um, by default, by nature, you know, we are sinners who, and our desire is self-rule. And so, mm. like you said, it goes back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. Mm. Really, the expression of Adam and Eve there is self-rule. They're going to do things their way, not God's way, ignore his instructions, do what they want to do. And, you know, it's been the same ever since. And I think our difficulty still today is um, even for those that have come to faith in Jesus can be that we're really excited about Christ's um, role in offering us forgiveness. We're happy to have him as saviour to deal with that problem, but to come under his lordship fully can be yeah. another question altogether. Hmm. And so we keep wanting to have aspects of our life where we don't place that under yeah, Christ. We're not submitting to him in certain areas. And in the end, again, that's a heart problem. Um, yeah. And it's a worship problem. Like we're not giving honor to the one that we should. Yeah. And it's ultimately by trying to take control or self-rule in a certain area. Mm. We're denying uh, the worship that belongs only to God. We're not loving God with all our heart and mind and soul. Yeah. We're really loving our self-rule. Yeah. And that's going to have implications too for, uh, horizontally for our relationships around us because that selfishness and self-rule will have implications everywhere. Yeah, I think it's like you said before about wanting to come to Jesus on our terms, not on his terms. Mm. Mm. Now, when Jesus tells them the tenants will kill the son and the owner will in turn kill them and give the vineyard to others, the response of the people is a resounding, God forbid, or surely not. So I read this as a twofold response. The people are alarmed that they may lose God's blessings whereas the Pharisees are probably more alarmed that they may lose their control and power. But if they'd been acting as Israel was supposed to act, isn't it right that the vineyard would have gone to others also, but rather than instead of them, it would have gone through them? Yeah, so there's a whole aspect here of, um, yeah, the original promises to Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, mm. that, you know, he would be a blessing to all nations. So God's plan has always been to include all the nations. Mm. So, you know, it's not enough for God just to be interested in the worship of the people of one nation, but he, yeah. you know, has designed us all, we're all his creatures, to be in relationship with him. And so Israel was meant to be a light in the Old Testament and draw people in so that they too might worship. Mm. So it was always bigger than, you know, that one nation. Yeah. However, I guess there are a couple of dangers here as we think about that. So sometimes people read the New Testament and have what we call replacement theology today, and that mm. is, well, Israel failed, failed badly, God set them aside, and now it's all about the Gentiles and yeah. Israel doesn't count at all. Mm. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. So Romans 9 to 11 in particular, yeah. Paul's wanting to say, no, 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 um, yes, the Israel sadly have largely rejected Christ in mm. his day. But the Gentiles are only being grafted into the vine that yes. is Israel. Yeah. And so oh, this was always the plan, but we're still mm. only a part of it. We haven't taken over, and God still has his remnant within Israel. Yep. Um, Paul was a Jew himself, as he points out, and yeah. he believed. Yeah. And there were many others in Christ's day, but the vast majority sadly rejected. Mm. But you'd have to say today, even as God continues to graft in Gentiles at perhaps a faster rate, you know, there's 7 billion or whatever people in the world, mm. and certainly most of them have rejected Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a minority on both sides. Yeah. And so we, we have to be thankful as Gentiles that we have been included and yeah. grafted in 
but we don't want to deny the special place that God had in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. Yeah, it's like in the home group study question that we had about um, not becoming proud or arrogant. It's like, oh, we're in, they're out. Absolutely. It's yeah. like, no, it's amazing we're in. Don't be arrogant. <laughs> exactly, because yeah. we can fall and stumble just as the Israelites did, you know, yeah. and not respond as God calls us to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the call is still for us, like the world, to be blessed through us. To exactly, wisdom. yes. Yeah. yeah, we need to be reaching out too. It doesn't stop with us. Yeah. yeah and we should be reaching out to Jew and Gentile alike, but yeah. uh, especially Gentiles, I guess, as we have opportunity being surrounded by them in Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the last question about the text um, is about Jesus being the cornerstone. And I was chatting to a couple of non-Christians after the service, and they didn't really understand this part um, so well. And I dare say for many, this might not be so clear. So could you explain for us what is a cornerstone? Why is Jesus referred to as a cornerstone? And why is it significant for Jesus to finish his parable, linking the parable to this reference? Yes. So a cornerstone is the foundational block um, named exactly because it's a stone that's stuck in one corner of the four corners of the Mm. house and then Mm. you draw your plumb lines off that initial Mm. stone to get your wall straight and the whole building needs to be aligned with that cornerstone block. Mm. Um, And so that's why it's crucial um, that Jesus is that. You know, everything's aligned around him as the Christ Mm. that would come. And so when he um, speaks about the cornerstone, he's quoting from Psalm 118 verse 22 in verses 17 um, and 18. And he's showing, you know, the reason too for the son's death and the judgment on the tenants who reject the son, you know, that it's a necessity that God is the owner and if Jesus is the cornerstone, they're rejecting the key one, the one that was to come, the Christ that they were waiting for. And so really in that statement, Jesus is vindicated um, by the Father. Mm. Um, The rejection of him is spoken about, Mm. but also that he will be the judge ultimately too. So he will crush those that do reject him Mm. uh, ultimately at his return at the second coming. And so there is a there's an allusion there to Daniel two, mm-hmm. and the the great rock that came and knocked down the statue that represented the various kingdoms mm. of that day, that Christ's kingdom will ultimately crush all others. Mm. That because he is the one, yeah. he is the cornerstone, the one to whom um, all the promises of the Old Testament find their fulfilment. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good allusion. That one, I think, just that I really found that helpful. That. The plumb line, like everything has to be aligned to that cornerstone or it'll just be out of out of whack. Yeah, and it gets yeah. picked up a lot in the New Testament, like Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, at the end yeah. of Ephesians 2, you know, um, there are the prophets and the apostles, but Christ mm. is the chief cornerstone yeah. from which the whole building and temple rises. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a one that's brought out by the, the various apostles and yeah. Um, yeah, writers of the New Testament. Yeah, that's really helpful. Now, the final question, and thinking about more the church family. Now, the great news from this parable is that Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, sinners like you and I and everyone listening, we can now be part of the kingdom of God. That's just wonderful, fantastic, amazing, great news. What should this really mean for us at WBC? And how would you like to see this being evident in the lives of the WBC family? 
Yeah, well, I think two main things that um, spring to mind. One is that we should be uh, people that are thankful, that are grateful. You know, our mm. lives should be marked by thankfulness. We're just so uh, aware of our sinfulness, our inadequacy, and mm. yet the grace that God has shown to us in the sending of his son. Yeah. And so we can never grow tired of hearing the gospel and wanting to mm. be reminded of all that God's done. And therefore, you know, having a response of praise and thanks that should come, uh, you yeah. know, as we reflect on those things. But then secondly, we could never be content and selfish and just think, well, that's great for me. Uh, yeah. What about all those around me, my friends, family, work colleagues that don't yet uh, know Jesus as their Lord and mm. Savior? Uh, surely I need to um, announce this great news to other people. Yeah. And so there's the spur to evangelism that I want others, you know, yeah. as God does his work of drawing them sovereignly into his family, yeah. I want to be the instrument by which I faithfully present the good news. Yeah. The response depends on God, but, you know, I've got the opportunity to share it. Um, yeah. and, and what a great role that we've been uh, given by God that we're included in his plan um, that we can be instruments that he uses to further his kingdom yeah and I guess in terms of sharing there's an individual obligation that you know we, it's not just a job for the evangelist it's something we all need to do in some way shape or form but I guess the benefit is we also have things like Christianity Explored mm. um, where maybe if someone's not so confident um, they can start the ball rolling and then invite them to CE, which is starting pretty soon, I believe. Absolutely, yeah. So we've got a group that will start uh, next week, which, um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, Sahan Madavi and um, Dan Page are going to be running, and mm -hmm. there's a few people already part of that. We hope that there'll be more in the next two or three weeks following that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting. You don't have to be uh, the one if you feel ill-equipped. Um, mm. You've always got to be prepared to give a hope, to give an answer of the hope that you have um, yeah. in 1 Peter 3. But... Um, yeah, we, we need to use the collective, you know, gifts that God has blessed our church with. Yeah. And such courses provide an avenue where you can just come along with your friend and let somebody else do the explanation and you just be the one that has the ongoing conversation with them. Yeah. And then I guess thinking further ahead, there's the church plant, um, which really is that outreach into a growing community. Absolutely. There's yeah. such need, you know, in these growing suburbs to the south of Wollongong. It's fantastic that yeah. God's bringing people into those areas, and yet there's um, yeah, less Christian witness in some mm. of those suburbs, and so we're hopeful of being part of you know, seeing new things happen in Tullambar and Calderwood. Yeah. So lots to be thankful for, lots to do, and lots to be prayerful for. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Thank you, Rod, for your time uh, this morning, and thank you as well for filling in for Mark and for Ken again last week. Uh, let's see who I'm interviewing next week. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for listening. And Mike, as always, for recording. And each Sunday, if you've got any questions or comments after the service, please feel free to send them through to me in the church office, and I'll try to incorporate them into the podcast. And just remember, one day every knee will bow down in worship of the one true King Jesus, either in worship now or in judgment later. So may we all today and every day behold our King. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 